Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Hi, welcome to Your Cyber Path. I'm Kip Boyle. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Jason Dion. Hi, Jason. Hey, Kip. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And uh, in case anybody's watching the video version uh, of this, you can see that Jason's been getting lots of sun lately, really enjoying <laughs> the outside world, but probably needs to remember his uh, <laughs> sunblock. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I tend to always forget to wear a hat when I'm supposed to. And then about halfway through the day, I'm like, I really should have gotten a hat. My uh, family likes to make fun of me because you know, if we go to Disney or Universal or one of the theme parks or something like that, about halfway through the day, I always remember that I forgot to bring a hat. And so I ended up buying a hat. And so I have this entire collection of hats at home <laughs> because I always forget to buy a hat or to bring a hat. So I end up buying a hat and then I never wear it again because I forget the hat. And so I, yeah. oh my God, there's a big pile of hats. It's, it's a bad, <laughs> bad, bad thing that I need to get myself over. <laughs> but you said you had a really great time. You were, you're out there with your son and uh, in the sun. So good for oh. you. Really, really good for you. So uh, listen, so today we're going to talk about um, something that I think is going to be really important for our listeners, and that's what does a cybersecurity hiring manager really want from you starting on day one? Uh, you know, we spend so much time talking about getting the job, which we should, but we rarely talk about, okay, what happens, you know, once you report for work? You know, what, uh, what you know, how do you, how, how can you be successful on, you um, on, on day one. And then I think the first 90 days is crucial, don't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it really comes down to making that good first impression. Um, you know, when I used to be a college professor, um, I, I used to talk to my students all the time about, you know, that first week of class, you really need to kind of stake your claim and show the professor who you are, um, because it really goes a long way through the rest of the semester. And I think a lot of that happens on the job as well. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, a lot of students, you know, you come in on the first week, if you create like an amazingly great paper for your first assignment, the instructor in their mind starts associating, okay, Kip is a really good writer. Kip is the guy who's always going to give me a good mm -hmm. product. And so when I get Kip's second and third and fourth product, I'm going to not read it nearly as closely because he already has that impression in my mind of, oh, I know that Kip guy. He does a great job. Whereas, you know, if I look at, you know, somebody else's paper who did really bad on the first time, it's hard to recover because of that initial bad impression, because now as an instructor, I'm looking really closely for any mistakes you may make because I think you're a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same thing in a job. You know, if you have a bad first week or first two weeks, it's really hard to recover from that. And so you want to make that good first impression and set it up in people's minds that you're a good person, you're a good hard worker, you know, you're here to deliver results. And that goes a long way for the rest of your career there. Yeah, uh, it, uh, sometimes I call this, I've heard other people call it too, the halo effect. You know, you show up and you just kind of get that, wow, you know, what, what, a, what, a, what a great, you know, uh, person, you know, Jason is just hit the ground running and um, super helpful, super engaged. And so that becomes the dominant, uh, you know, view of you. And then when you act in a way that's contrary to that, people figure, well, that's just an exception. That's just not, that's not how Jason normally is. So we'll give him a pass today because, you know, everybody has bad days. He's probably just having a bad day and, you know, and so they don't, they don't have any problem with you. Um, and so really what this gets back to, which we do talk a lot about, which is this, the people skills, right? That it's not all about how do you twiddle the bits on the firewall? <laughs> that's, yep. that's such a minor part of the job, even though when we go through education that we, it seems like that's all there is to it, but really, really that's not. So why don't we dive in a little bit and um, 
uh, and unpack this uh, this topic of you know what should you be really focused on day one? You know, it's one thing for us to say you know set, you know make a good impression. Okay, well, but what does that mean, right? What does it mean to set to set a good impression? So, I'll go first. I think uh, when somebody shows up uh, to to work uh, with me and my team, I've selected you, right? I've hand selected you, and I'm I'm sure you can do the job. So you've got to have that in your mind, right? So when you show up, I want you to be professional. Uh, in, in every way that you can. Don't be stiff, but just definitely be professional. Show me your professionalism by dressing appropriately, by uh, interacting with, with other people in a uh, helpful way with, with politeness and courtesy. I don't necessarily need you to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, right? You got to really look at the environment. I mean, if you're, if you're in the military, if you're working with uniformed military personnel, then maybe that would be okay. But in, but in the private sector, in, you know, uh, in, on my team, if you were to join my team, uh, I, that, would, that would come off as being a little too stiff. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to do that. But, um, and of course, you know, technical ability, right? Don't be afraid to demonstrate what your technical uh, capabilities are right from the beginning. So I don't know, that's what I'm thinking about in terms of professionalism. Jason, what, what do you think about what's professionalism for you on day one? Yeah, I, I think professionalism uh, on day one is making sure, A, you're there on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people show up late on their first day of work. That's not a good impression because, you know, that may go over when you're there for a couple of months because you may have flexible work hours. But on day one, people are there to meet you and take you and walk you around and get you into HR and get your badges and get your accounts and all that stuff, right? And usually in a large organization like I've been working in in the past, um, it really does take a couple of days before you're ever actually doing any real work because that first couple of days is just a lot of paperwork and onboarding and going through the, you know, uh, HR classes to say, you know, don't sexually harass your employee, you know, your, your coworkers and stuff like that. And all of those things that just take up a lot of time. Um, so make sure you're on time, you know what you need to get done and you're, you're delivering on those things, whatever those are. If they asked you to bring in a copy of your birth certificate or your passport or whatever it was for identification, don't forget those things, make a list and make sure you're there. Um, I, I think, you know, uniform or, or, you know, uniform, the, the, the way you dress, right. Uh, your civilian uniform, right. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that's appropriate. Um, you don't want to go in with a, a suit and tie if that organization is a t-shirt and jeans kind of place. Uh, my company, we are a t-shirt and jeans kind of place. So if you walked in with a suit and tie, you'd be a little bit out of place there. And everybody would be kind of looking at you like, what are you doing? Um, whereas some other places I've been at, they were a blazer uh, place. Every guy was wearing a you know a shirt, no tie, but they would have a, a, a sports jacket on. And so if you walked in with a, a, a shirt and, and uh, or t-shirt and jeans, you'd look out of place in that environment. So you got to make sure you understand that. And hopefully you're going to get a feeling for that when you've gone in and done your interviews of what does normal look like in that organization. And if you didn't get a sufficiently good sense from that experience, because sometimes you don't, uh, ask oh my gosh just ask right say you know uh just thank them for you know bringing you on the team i'm so you know because they're going to reach out to you and they're going to say hey we want you to join the team here's the offer you're going to do the negotiations but but then ask right just say okay uh look i accept this is wonderful i have a few questions one thing i'd like to know is what's the dress code for where i'm going to be and um there's there's gosh there's just no shame in asking that quite the opposite when a candidate a new person asks me something like what is the dress code i think oh my gosh this person's like already thinking about day 1 and 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 is really putting an emphasis on uh fitting in 
and uh, and they're already thinking about being on the team. So I actually think that's a really strong signal from a from a new person that they want to do well. That is that's professionalism for sure. Yeah. Any yeah. any other words on professionalism? Yeah, you know, you'd mentioned technical ability. And, you know, one of the things for me in professionalism is I don't expect you to know everything 100%, but I do expect you to know where to look and to be self-sufficient in finding those answers. After all, the reason I hired you to bring you on my team is to take work off my plate, right? Is to get things done. And so if you're coming back to me as the boss every five minutes asking another question, that to me, it starts putting the things like, I start asking myself, why did I hire this person, right? They're creating more work for me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you may be a great employee in two weeks once I answer all those questions, but, you know, I hired you because I'm busy and I need you to take on that load. And so um, if you don't know the answer immediately, you want to be able to ask other coworkers or, uh, you know, preferably look it up on Google, figure it out yourself of what you need to do. Um, there's some things you're going to have to ask coworkers, like how does this organization set up its Active Directory structure? Mm -hmm. um, you can go into Google and figure out how to set up an Active Directory structure, but not how this organization does it. And so figuring out those technical things, you're going to have to yeah. ask some coworkers. But in general, you want to be able to solve as many problems as you can yourself, because that's why they hired you, is they want yep. you to take on work and release their workload. You know, I'm going to say something else about that, which is this. When a new person, and I just went through this because I just had two new people join my organization in the last two months. And, uh, and, and this, this one fellow that joined just, I don't know how he knows uh, how to do this, but he's just, he just has this sense about when to ask me. And I, and I kept thinking, like, how does he know this? And I figured it out. So what's happening is that he's doing exactly what we're talking about where I, when I say, you know, hey, can you, can you please take care of this for me? And he'll be like, okay, he'll go figure out how to do it. But then before he pulls the trigger, he comes back and he shares like a screenshot with me or whatever. And he says, is, you know, is this what you're looking for? I, you know, I just want to get a thumbs up from you before I pull the trigger and commit this thing. And that to me feels great because there's, you know, they're showing me something to make to make sure that we're on the same page without asking me all the little nitty gritty details about how to get to that point. And that just really increases my confidence that uh, that this person is. Uh, self-sufficient, but does understand that they're new and it's okay to, you know, just get somebody to, to double check what they're, what they're doing. So I, I, I do like that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, we were talking right before we started hitting record on this episode. Um, we've been growing really fast at Dion Training. I just had employee number 14 join my team last Monday. Employee number 15 is joining this Monday. Employee 16 is joining the following Monday. So we have three people coming on board in this three-week period, and we're hiring about six more over the next two months because uh, we've just been going through this rapid expansion. Uh, and the one who came on last week, he's a developer. He's, he's part of our new web development team because we're building our own learning management system from scratch. And, you know, the discussion we had was he's like, hey, I have all these ideas of what we can do. Um, are you OK with me just going off and doing it? I said, yeah, that's fine. But if you need some guidance, I'm totally good with that, too. And so what he's done is, you know, he says, hey, I have this idea. Here's what I want to program. Here's how many hours I think it's going to take. Do you think there's value in doing that from the business side? Right. Because he's like, I can code anything you want. But is it going to give you business value? And is it mm. worth me? You know, if it's going to take me 40 hours of my time, that's one week of development. Is that worth it to you as the business owner to, to have that feature added to your LMS? Or would you rather me do these other three features that would take that same 40 hours? So those kind of decisions, I, I think, are fine, especially, you know, in, in even in the cybersecurity world. You know, there's always this limit of time. And so yeah. you start saying, I can do this for you or I can do these things for you. Which would you prefer? Which gives you more value? Because I don't understand your business yet. Now, six months from now, he's going to know our business a lot better after working here, and he'll be able to make those decisions on his own. But today, he's brand new to the team, and so he needs some guidance on what is that 
that business value that we stri- strive for in our organization, the unique ways that we work versus the way other companies he's worked for have yeah. worked in the past. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's move on to uh, something else. So we talked about professionalism, what that looks like. Well, one of the, along the way of talking about professionalism, we've talked about the second item, which is, uh, which is people skills and your ability to bond with your teammates. Uh, look, this is, uh, this is a, a, a team uh, focused world uh, cybersecurity generally is, unless you're the only person at your organization. And even still, I would say, don't be an army of one. You're never going to get all the things that you need to get done by going it alone. So whether you are part of a, uh, of a team that all reports to the same person or whether you're, uh, you know, somebody who is, is a team of one, uh, you know, as far as the org chart is concerned, you know, don't act that way. You're going to want to connect with people. You're going to want to show that you're a team player. So, um, so I expect you to be friendly and I expect you to find your place on the team. Now, what I've noticed about uh, cybersecurity people, especially very, very technical ones, is this can be a real problem for them and, and, and for different reasons. And, but really what a lot of it comes down to is, um, is they would just prefer to work with the technology rather than work with the people. And I do understand that, but it can, you cannot be so obsessed with the technology that you're an asshole. Can I just say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is not a podcast for children, so I think we're okay. I mean, I, I don't think we should turn, you know, uh, we should turn a blue streak here. But you know, there's a whole there's a whole book and a whole movement down uh, out in the world, you know, around this this uh, uh, this book called the No Asshole Rule. Well, my gosh, that sure does that sure does apply because if you are rude to people on my team, I'm going to call you out on it. If you're rude to our customers, our other internal customers, and somebody comes back to me and says, you know, hey, your guy just, you know, crapped all over my dude for no good reason and kept us from getting what we needed to get done today, I'm going to I'm going to call you out on that as well. And no matter how great you are, technically speaking, no matter how much of a wizard you are with the keyboard, I will let you go. I will get you off the team because that is such disruptive behavior. Don't, don't you think so, Jason? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I know I've talked to you about this, uh, but I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I'll, I'll say it again if I did. Uh, I had a person on one of my teams about 10 years ago uh, that was crapping all over the customers, right? And we were working in um, information security, and I also ran the help desk. So if people had problems with their computers or some kind of security issue, we've gotten help fix it. And this, uh, this woman, she was just a jerk, to be quite honest. She was mean, she was nasty, she was great at her job, but she was just had no people skills. And it got to the point where our customers, we were getting more complaints about her. And so it became more of a problem than she was solving. And it ended up being where they basically said, hey, you're no longer have a job here, you're, you're gone. Um, and we were actually overseas. I was working in the Middle East at the time. I had about 150 people working for me and I was getting a huge amount of calls about this particular employee. Uh, and so we ended up getting rid of that particular employee and she had to pick up and move her entire family back to the States because she was only in that country because of this job. And it was a huge thing. And, and we went through this whole thing trying to remediate with her, but she just wouldn't change and she just could not get along with people. Um, and, and so we just, no matter how good you are at your job, if you're a jerk, no one's going to want to work with you. And in this case, it cost her a job and she had to move her entire family and uproot across the other side of the world because she couldn't interact nicely with people. Yeah, so that's so you make sure you're interacting nicely. <laughs> that's, that's awful. So let's, I want to talk for a moment about why people sometimes struggle to, uh, to treat other people with respect. Um, now there's probably more reasons than I could possibly recount in the time that we have here, but 
um, but I, I, I want to focus on two. And I think one of them is uh, people seem to come in a lot of times with this very like I'm smarter than you kind of attitude and they and they have contempt for other people like and, and the contempt shows up by comments, little snide comments like what a dipshit or what a <laughs> what a jerk or whatever. Right. Um, just this whole idea that every, every you know, everybody uh, that they have to deal with is somehow not as smart as them. So there's this real arrogance. And so uh, so if you <laughs> if you think that you might be guilty of this, just ask yourself this following question. If everybody around you is an idiot, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> stop for a second <laughs> it, it, it may be you and not them yeah, yeah maybe yeah. it's you and not them exactly that was the point okay so that's one thing now the other thing i wanted to say is that uh and i'm gonna speak from experience here for myself um uh, it turns out that uh i've had quite a bit of social anxiety over the course of my life and at first i didn't i didn't know what it was i didn't have a, enough self-awareness to realize what was going on but eventually i did and, and I've taken steps to, to deal with that, including uh, counseling and medication, all right? So I'm admitting that here because I know that social anxiety is a big deal. I know a lot of people suffer from it, but they don't all, they don't all understand what it is, and there's a stigma about getting help. So I don't want that for you. If you're a person who, um, who you know, feels uncomfortable around people, have, has a hard time being around people, you might have so, uh, some kind of social anxiety. And I want to encourage you to check that out. Um, have you seen social anxiety, Jason, and, you know, in people that you've worked with? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. I mean, especially when you start dealing with more of the, the technical uh, side of this business, you sometimes get a lot of people who they got into this because their personality is they don't want to interact with other people. They're comfortable being alone in the basement, in the dark room by themselves, uh, doing their own thing. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I think our industry just kind of tends to attract some of those people. Mm -hmm. um, but just like every other industry, there is this importance of social skills and dynamics because that's really kind of where you quote, make your money inside your profession and where you're gonna get those promotions is because you're getting along with people. They can't see this team without you. Um, I, I know we've talked about this before during the pandemic, you know, one of the things that a lot of people, they went home and everybody was starting to work remotely, which some people thought this was the worst thing ever because they don't like being home alone. They want to be able to have people to talk to. And other people thought this is the greatest thing ever. I'm getting so much work done. No one's bothering me. I can just put my head down and get the work done. I need to get done. Um, and, and that's just a personality thing of, of how you're wired and how you want to work. Um, and as people are starting to go back to the office through this pandemic, now a lot of companies are bringing people back. Um, you have to think to yourself, you know, if I stay home and I work remotely the whole time and people don't see me, I'm out of sight, out of mind. That's great. You might be the most productive person ever, but you're not going to get the promotions because no one's going to be thinking about you when it comes time for promotions yeah. because you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. So there is this whole people dynamic. Um, and, you know, going back to, you know, what we're talking about here, which is what are you doing your first 90 days? You need to become a part of that team. You need to make those inroads. You need people to understand who you are, um, not so you're annoying, but so that you're part of this team and they start bringing you into these things. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, you know, when you think about, you know, remote work um, and if you are getting on a new job as a remote position, you kind of have to go out of your way to make this um, soft skill community building happen. Um, because you're not just going to run into them at the break room while you're grabbing a coffee, right? Where you could in a normal building and office mm -hmm. setting. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll use the example of, of the new person who just joined my team. 
uh, one of the things he did was he got the whole development team. They, when they're working, they set up a, um, a Zoom link so they can actually share and anybody who's working at that time can jump on. And they're not doing it for a meeting per se. They're just doing it so they have an open line of communication and they're sharing their screen going, hey, here's what I'm working on. I'm getting stuck here. Or, you know, as they're just coding, somebody else can watch over their shoulder almost yeah. like pair coding, pair programming mm -hmm. to see if they're catching any bugs. Um, but it's also building up that camaraderie between the team members. And it really, you know, the person who just joined last week, he's already like, man, that guy is like leaps and bounds ahead of other people because he's just, he's communicating, he's, he's personable, he's sharing his insights. You know, he, he's really kind of taking a leadership position in this team. And that's not what we hired him for, but right. that's just his personality. And so he's made a great first impression in the, in the week he's been here. Yeah. So I'll just say one more thing about this. Um, if you are a person who does prefer to work, uh, uh, you know, with as little as possible with people and, and you're not suffering from social anxiety or, you know, anything like that, well, here's my suggestion for you. Be sure that you get a job where that is built into your job, all right? So, you know, get a job where the expectation is that you're going to sit in front of your computer monitor 80, 90% of the day and that people are not going to be walking up to you and trying to engage you in conversation. Like actually structure uh, your day around your tasks with the understanding, the full understanding of everybody that your job is to be heads down and, and just make it part of the assumption of the way you work. Don't make the mistake of taking a job that just doesn't fit you know, your work preference like that is just a recipe for disaster. It's not going to work. You won't be able to do it over the long haul. You will, you will wake up in the morning and you'll be like, I hate this job. I can't stand, you know, uh, doing it because I got to talk to people too much. And, and you're just, you're just going to make yourself and everybody else miserable. So please be careful about that. And, um, and we're going to talk in a future episode about about how to find out what your work preferences are in case you don't already know. So, uh, uh, you know, so that that's coming up. Okay. But, but not today. Okay. Last thing we wanted to talk about as far as how to be successful on day one is your ability to solve problems right away. This is an ongoing issue. And it's one of the reasons why entry, the whole idea of entry level jobs for cybersecurity is so dang weird People, when they hear entry-level job, they think, oh, I don't have to have any skills. I'll show up and I'll get trained. And that really isn't the case in most places, particularly in the private sector, in DOD um, and in the military and in the civilian service. Um, I think there are way more opportunities to, to show up and be kind of entry-level. But it's this need to have you be able to solve problems from day one that really is uh, kind of like the fence that you've got, you've got to get over. Um, and so that means you've got to be comfortable taking risk and possibly failing when you're uh, going to try something new, which is to say, you know how to solve the problem. You've just never done it in this context. So um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. I don't think failure is a sign of weakness. Jason, what do you think about, about failure and, uh, and, and, you know, and being comfortable taking risks? Yeah, you know, I actually encourage my team a lot that they should be seeking out places where we can do risk and possibly fail. And that's fine, right? Uh, we're going to fail. We're going to fail forward. So when we make a mistake, we're learning from that. And I don't care if you make a mistake, but let's just not make the same one over and over again, right? Let's, let's make it once and then fix it and then keep moving forward. Um, you know, the other thing is that a lot of things that you do, 
if you don't ever have failure, you're obviously not pushing yourself hard enough is the way I kind of look at things. Uh, if we're doing everything safely, uh, we're never you know, pushing it to the envelope and we could have gotten a lot more out of, out of you and out of the company if we had been trying harder. Um, you know, when I, when I work with my development team, especially, we talk a lot about failure and I'm okay with there being bugs. I'm okay with there being failure. Uh, we're going to find them. We're going to work our way through it. And the big thing is, you know, if we're going to fail, we want to put it into an environment where we can fail safely. Um, so as we're trying out something new, we're not going to do that on our production server. We'll do that in our development environment. Right. And then we'll put it in our staging environment. And then we'll move to the production environment. And by then we fixed 90, 95% of the problems. And yeah, there's still bugs that make it to production and we find those and we, we fix those after. Um, but having that mentality of I'm going to try something and if I fail, that's okay. I'll pick myself up and I'll move forward. That's where you learn most of the things uh, that you're going to learn on the job that you can't learn from a textbook because right. um, that's where you find those new and innovative ways of doing things. And, and I have some people on my team who are very risk averse and they don't want to fail. And so they're very, very, um, they're limited in what they can produce and what they can achieve because of that afraid uh, of failure, afraid of failing and afraid of going over the line. So, you know, it's, it's those kind of things that you, you sometimes just kind of try something new because you'll get better results. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. Um, the, the problem is that a lot of people have been shamed by others or taunted by others for failing. And I think it's just, it's, it's kind of a norm in American culture anyway, perhaps in other cultures, it, you know, uh, failure isn't seen as quite as a stigma, but man, it, it's just thick, you know, people just, um, some, and some people just love to see you fail, right? And so the mm -hmm. kind of the environment that you're in can be really tough in, uh, in, in, in terms of feeling safe to fail. I, I think it's I think it's the responsibility of the hiring manager and the supervisor to create an environment where failure is is okay and is and is and is encouraged because here's the thing you will never learn a better lesson from anyone or any situation more than you'll learn from failure. Failure is the absolute best teacher. You just want to make sure that the tuition payments aren't awful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they brought up a quote and I can't remember the company. It was a quote from some you know, major Fortune 500 company. And they said, oh, you know, that guy just cost you $650,000 with his mistake. Are you going to fire him? He goes, no, I just paid $650,000 to teach him what not to do. Uh, why would I fire him now? Right? He's more um, valuable I, than he was before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I go that far. I don't want somebody losing me $650,000. But, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to it, you know, it's Failure is okay, uh, especially, you know, I, I'm a very big believer in lean and agile methodologies, especially when it comes to development. Um, I would rather us get something out there that may have some bugs as opposed to over-engineering this thing for every possible contingency, and it takes us a year to get something out there. And so by being able to do that, um, we can get a lot more done a lot faster and get a lot better results. And when we make mistakes and we fail, we learn from those, we correct them, and we keep moving forward. And even if I had to make three mistakes, it's going to take less time than building this thing out 100% from the beginning. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 it's okay in those environments. Now, if you're working on building nuclear reactor control panels, don't do this, right? You're building airplanes, don't do this. Um, but, you know, the things I'm doing, it's not life or death. It's, right. it's a learning management system. It's an exam test prep engine. It's, you know, some videos in a course or something like that. So, you know, you have to figure out where that line is based on your organization. And, you know, I, I think you hit it right the managers and the supervisors in your area, it's gonna depend on what their philosophy is too, right? If you're in an organization where there is this zero defect mentality, um, then 
be then having failures is probably a bad thing and it may cost you your job, right? Yeah. Um, but what I've seen is a lot of places are a little more open. Uh, most failures are not the critical death blow. Uh, it's just a, it's a stumbling block. You hit your toe, you fix yourself, you keep moving on. Um, and if you have it with that attitude where you're learning stuff and you're going to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes over and over again, most people are not going to hold that against you. Now, if you're making the same mistake over and over again, that's then we're like, wow, right. this person just doesn't learn. <laughs> yeah, that's they're, right. They're no good. Get out, right? That's totally uh, that's, different. That's, that's different than, you know, that's true failure, not just a failure during learning. Right. You know, uh, one, one, one final uh, thought on this, and then I think we can wrap up the episode. Uh, so Google, when it first formed, they said, uh, hey, we're a bunch of engineers. We don't like managers. We're not going to have any managers, right? We're going to create this utopian uh, you know, organization where there are no managers. And you know, engineers are smart. They'll just always know what to do. <laughs> well, guess what? That didn't work out for them. So, they, uh, so they, they said, okay, well, if we have to have managers, we're going to figure out what's the, what's the right way to have a manager. In other words, what, what's the number one thing that a manager can do in order to empower engineers, right? So they went and did this massive study, as you could expect, Google through all these resources at it and just gathered all this data and just analyzed it to death. And the number one thing that they figured out, and I believe this is true, about what makes a successful manager is something called psychological, psychological safety, which is exactly what we've been talking about, which is that the engineers are feel comfortable and free to make mistakes, to speak up, to share their thoughts, and not have to worry that they're going to get judged or, or reprimanded because they said uh, some uncomfortable truth or, or they made a mistake. So if you're a hiring manager or a supervisor, or if you want to be one one day, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about psychological safety and the freedom to fail because it's going to make a huge difference in the performance of your team. So, all right, I'm going to take the last word on that. I'm going to, now let me just recap before we close it out. So what does a hiring manager really want from you on day one? We want professionalism. We want you, that's number one. We want you to bond with your teammates. That's number two. And we want you to start solving problems from day one. Now, I won't take the final word. You have the final word, Jason. No, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, when it comes to this whole idea of failing forward and uh, the culture of safety, where you feel comfortable to bring up these issues, um, that's all goes right back into the lean principles and the scrum principles. So, you know, if you're working in an organization that uses scrum as their project methodology, um, that is right in line with it, right? Um, and so it's just a knowing what your organization is and be able to have value and impact on day one, right? When you show up for the job, we hired you for a reason. We need, we need work done. We need, we need you to help us um, come in there make our lives easier. Show us what you can do. And even if you're putting more effort in the first week or two than you will the rest of the time you're there, that halo effect is going to help carry you over uh, and really make that great first impression. So um, you want to come to speed as quickly as you can uh, and just make that great first impression because that's going to go a long way for you. Yeah. Any, any other words, Kip? Nope. Let's All wrap right. it up. Cool. Well, in that case, I want to thank everybody again for joining us for another episode of Your Cyber Path. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. And uh, until then, you can always visit us, visit us at yourcyberpath.com for more tips, tricks, and great advice. See you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyber Path. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.